0: were they running from? What have
1: they seen? Whom do they fear? There are five million answers to these questions, and every one of them is a shocker. Terror, five million years old, spills into our time to make two worlds collide. What is happening here and now can affect the next
0: five million years. It was what I was afraid of the thing are a huge intake of energy the very substance of it seemed to be coming alive and you can't see this world any
1: longer they feel it they see it Quatermass, the scientist who comes face to face with five million years of terror Roni, it's Barbara she's the one, get down here, quick they will kill me who,
0: what were them, them he saw the creatures They were alive. Alive?
1: You descend into the pit of hell as you share their horror.
0: Listen! I'm advising you all to leave. There may be great danger. Mass in the Pit is a, another classic from uh, uh, Hammer Films in the UK, and it opens with it's you know, late 60s um, England or London actually, and they're trying to fix or, or or dig up an old tube station, and they they make a mysterious discovery. So after the discovery in the tube station, where they're not sure is it a you know a V rocket left over from World War Two, or you know could it actually be a spaceship? You know, are there? you know, telekinetic ghosts or rather actually Martians running around. It's really sort of a wild story, a wild movie. I think that has a lot of echoes and, and movies that have come since Quatermass in the Pit. Uh, personally speaking, it was a movie that terrified me as a child with a big glowing sort of ghostly demon head at the end of the movie.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was Paul Tremblay talking about Roy Ward Baker's 1967 science fiction horror film, Quatermass in the Pit. Mr. Tremblay is an author known for the novels A Head Full of Ghosts, Disappearance at Devil's Rock, and The Cabin at the End of the World, as well as the recently released Growing Things and Other Stories, a collection which is out in stores now. Mr. Tremblay, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this old movie that that scared the crap out of me as a kid. And then I now enjoy as an adult.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, so given the option to choose any horror movie to discuss any at all, why did you go with (laughs) Quatermass in the pit?
0: Well, I mean, I I wanted to go with something that was, I guess, a bit of a deeper cut or maybe not like sort of an obvious choice, you know, since I'm always talking about Jaws and and other horror movies. Um, And for me, the the, the funny part of this movie is I remember when I first saw it, uh, geez, early eighties, you know, on a, a Local it's local to boston massachusetts. It was a program called creature double feature um, And this this predated even cable television. I'm sort of dating myself here. Sorry uh, <laughs> So and they, they would show two movies every saturday afternoon and the first movie was typically like a godzilla or a kaiju movie and, You know And the second movie would be you know a more straightforward horror movie You know usually black and white or an exploitation kind of flick and obviously some hammer horror films um in the and in the united states uh, when this ran, the title of the movie was 5 million years to earth. Um, yeah. So I, um, when I saw this movie, I mean, I was just, enthr- you know, as a kid, I was just enthralled by sort of, you know, the dark scenes of the, of the London underground. And, you know, I really hadn't seen anything like that before. And then sort of the climax of the movie, there's a, you know, the effect looks terribly dated now, but as a child, there was this big glowing, you know, <laughs> it looked like a devil, uh, you know, hovering over the city of London, uh, and that's sort of like the climax of the movie. Um, and the wild part for me was, you know, I have this vivid childhood memory of that movie, and then you know, some decades go by, and then I couldn't remember what the hell the name of the movie was uh, for, you know, from like the late nineties to even into the early two thousands. You know, sort of when the internet was just sort of you know getting going. Um, and I I spent years trying to figure out what the hell was that movie that I watched because I saw echoes of it i mean we might talk about this more but you can definitely see echoes of this movie and life force um and also echoes of this movie in um john carpenter's prince of darkness i mean he actually i think in the credits uh if you watch the if you watch prince of darkness all the way to the credits he mentions something about quater mass
1: um in there yeah absolutely and i think um Am I wrong about this? Nigel Neal, who created Quatermass, didn't he have a hand in the original screenplay uh, that became Prince of Darkness? I don't know if he got a credit on the finished film, but uh, it's funny. On the new uh, Scream Factory edition of the Blu-ray, Carpenter talks about, uh, you know, it may not be Quatermass Pit; It might actually be the Quatermass experiment. Uh, I picked up all three recently. I upgraded finally to Blues on all of them to revisit. But – I think it might be the Quatermass experiment, but uh, Carpenter yeah. talks about his love for the movie, but also working with Nigel Neal briefly and saying he was a bit of a handful.
0: <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. No, that's amazing. I mean, I, I know I, I'd read Carpenter talk about his love of the movie. And, you know, I think it's really cool that he obviously has a shout out, like a literal shout out in the credits, you know, to to, to Quatermass in, in the credits. I mean, I, you know, the, the penultimate scene of, of Prince of Darkness when sort of, You know, the the hordes of people start sort of uh, start converging on the church is definitely, you know, you you can see that scene echoed from um, Quatermass.
1: You know, it kind of feels like Prince of Darkness feels like a Quatermass movie. Without Quatermass in it. It feels like, you know, had he only shown up at some right. point, you know, those poor people might have been <laughs> saved or not. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how often he actually winds up saving people. <laughs> or, uh, you know, considering my recent rewatches, I, I did just want to thank you so much for choosing this movie to talk about because it gave me an opportunity to, uh, to go back and revisit all of those movies. I'm a huge Hammer fan, but – uh you know, Quatermass, there's something about the character. You know, I hadn't revisited these films very often. I think the last time mm-hmm. I'd seen any of them was probably, God, I want to say a decade ago. And yet I'm always watching the Dracula and Frankenstein cycles over and right. over. But, uh, but yeah, watching them again this time, especially with the Blu-rays. I think uh, Kino put out uh, Experiment and then Scream Factory, of course, put out Quatermass 2 and uh, Quatermass in the Pit. And, you know, they're loaded with bonus features. They're all great. But um, y- watching them... Uh, He's such a fascinating character, you know, uh, again, created by Nigel Uh, Mm Neal. He apparently was the subject of three BBC serials initially, which I have not seen, but those are the ones that Hammer adapted into future films. And I don't know. He's a guy. He he is the hero of those three (laughs) movies. And yet... He also – he's someone who appears to be somewhat of a guest star in the movies that bear his name in the titles, you know? Uh, Watching Experiment again, he feels kind of far from the lead at times. Uh, Maybe less so in Quatermass 2. He's more of a traditional, I guess, standard hero. But in Mm -hmm. Quatermass in the Pit, it seems like he's more part of an ensemble in a way than a straight-up lead. I mean, hell, out of anyone in the film – oh, uh, Dr. Roney feels more like the film's hero. You know, he's the one who opens the film. He arguably kicks right. off the film's plot, and he's the one who closes out the story with, you know, his, uh, spoiler alert for a 50-year-old <laughs> movie, but he, yeah, he yeah. closes out the story with a heroic sacrifice. So I don't know. I, I Do you find that strange that, you know, a, a franchise bearing, you know, the the protagonist's name, in fact, doesn't really feature him so much as a hero often? In fact, arguably, I think, in a Quatermass Experiment, I think, you know, he's... I wouldn't call him a villain, but he's kind of the real threat of the piece, you know, in the final moments, yeah. you know.
0: Well, um, I have to admit, I've only seen uh, Quatermass in the Pit. I haven't seen the Experiment, I, but I did. The oh God, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. But uh, the summer I did get to watch the the TV, uh, the BBC six episode Quatermass in the Pit, which is amazing. Um, you know, I will say what I find, you know, it, but I, I do agree with sort of your take on on, on Quatermass character, especially as it's portrayed by Andrew Weir. Uh Andrew Kier, sorry. Andrew Weir, somebody else. Andrew Keir. Um yeah, I mean, so like he's not the hero, and I and I love the idea of the description as of being sort of an ensemble group, uh, including, you know, you mentioned Dr. Rooney, but also including Barbara Shelley's uh, character, Barbara Judd. And and rewatching this movie fairly recently, one of my favorite things is that, you know, despite this film being shot in the 60s, um, you know, Barbara Shelley's character is never portrayed as sort of like the arm candy. You know, she is as a respected uh, scientist as Quatermass and Dr. Rooney are. And in fact, you know, they all talk to each other like adults. It's almost refreshing that, you know, that Quatermass just doesn't swoop in and have all the answers. I mean, he, you know, he he's trying hard and he means well. He's competent, which I think is the important part. I think what what Neil was brilliant at was creating competent characters who didn't always, you know, do the exact right thing because the characters and the viewers weren't exactly sure what was going to happen or if what they were going to try was going to work or not. And to me that, that just built just wonderful narrative tension throughout the whole, throughout the whole film. Um, and that, and that includes the, the television 19, you know, 1958 to 1955, 1959, excuse me, six episodes they're each about like 45 to 50 minutes long. Um, and it, it really is, uh, the movie is very faithful in that adaptation. It's almost hard for me to remember like what got left out of the television show and got and what got put into the movie. And if anything, I think the movie sort of improves. It streamlines things. I think the I think Andrew Keir's Mass is more compelling than Andre Morel, who is the actor that plays Quatermass in the in the you know the black and white television. You know, and that he feels more like sort of a. I don't want to say like a foppish academic, but certainly, um, I don't know. Like a, <laughs> he, I think the Quatermass Mass in the, the television series seems a bit more like a stereotypical British academic, uh, whereas I don't know Andrew Keir has a certain charisma and presence. In you you feel like you know he's not afraid to sort of get down in the muck, you know, like he, which he does literally a few times in the movie.
1: Yeah, I think he's really wonderful in the movie too, and. I, I much prefer Keir's Quatermass to – again, I haven't seen the BBC serials, and I know that mm. Nigel Neal apparently preferred the actor in the initial – I think he was played by somebody different in each of the three serials. But, right, um, yeah. <laughs> but I will say that I much prefer Keir's performance in you know uh, Quatermass in the Pit than I do uh, – I believe it was Brian Dunleavy, Dunleavy in uh, The Quatermass Experiment and Quatermass 2, yeah. who is who plays Quatermass as kind of this – tough talking hard-nosed American who's kind Um. of unlikable and he's kind of a dick. Uh, you know, I'm being honest. Whereas, you know, Andrew Keir, he isn't, you know, he plays Quatermass as somebody who maybe isn't, you know, terribly easy to love, but you know, he is a guy who is still, you know, compassionate. He is somebody who, uh, you know, is is relatable in some ways, Uh, even though he's obviously very driven, he's just more and more sympathetic. And, uh, I, I I much prefer that version of the character, and I'm very curious to see the serials now, and especially the, uh, you know, there were three serials. There was, uh, what, Experiment, and then Two, and then, uh, you know, The Pit, and then those were all turned into the films, and apparently there is a fourth Quatermass story that was a BBC serial in the 70s that actually kind of closes his story out, and uh, I haven't gotten around to watching that one yet, and of course there was, um, I think in the mid-aughts, um, there was a live broadcast, like a live teleplay, uh, an adaptation of The Quatermass Experiment, again, with Jason Fleming playing Quatermass. And I'm just kind of like, you know, oh, okay. that's, that's an interesting choice. Uh, it's kind of cool. Uh, David Tennant's in it, Mark Gatiss. But uh, yeah. I, I watched a couple of clips of it, and it's um, it's okay. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. It's It's not at all bad. It's just, you know, after watching the three really handsomely mounted Hammer films, you know, right. watching kind of a live... BBC, you know, version of the story it was a little, a little bit of a letdown, even for being modern, right. you know. But um, I don't know. Speaking of Hammer, I mean, you were talking about watching, you know, uh, you know, the movie as as a kid. Was Quatermass your first Hammer? Uh, do you recall even?
0: That? uh it's funny. I can't. I I, I honestly can't recall. I mean, I, that program didn't show a ton of Hammer. I I don't think. I mean, certainly, sort of like the Christopher Lee Dracula movies. But to be honest, at the age I was watching these, you know, so seven through 11, I would put that, that time frame. Um, Dracula was like the scariest thing in the world to me. So even like if it came on, I couldn't watch it for very long. Um, so it's really more as an adult that I've, you know, tried to re to revisit some of those movies. Um, yeah, shoot. I was, was going to say something about the, Oh, it's just to briefly go back to the, the television. Yeah. I had one last thought on it. Um, the, the television series as a comparison, you know, I, um, I do like the movie better. I think partly because I, I, that's what I first saw. That was my first exposure to the story. Um, but interestingly, you know, I mean the, the Blu-ray by, you know, Scream Factory is just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, couldn't be more pleased with the, the transfer. It's just, it's beautiful. Um, what's funny is because the, the, some of the effects in the movie are, are really not great. <laughs> like the Martians themselves, <laughs> you know, you can really see, it was funny. Like when I watched the movie with my daughter, she was just like, she had a hard time getting over, <laughs> you know, what, what the Martians look like. So in an odd way, in the in the teleplay that you know the fifty eighth or fifty nine because it's black and white and it's a little bit grainy um, and kind of dark, it, it actually isn't as jarring that you know these things don't really look, you know the, you know they don't look like I don't know like styrofoam kind of crickets <laughs> that you get in the that you get in the actual movie.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know I. <laughs> <laughs> watching it again this time around, you know, you're right. It is that Blu-ray is dropped. It' gorgeous, and uh, there's something about it. You know, I'd seen the movie before, but watching it again, you know, it's very easy to get drawn into the film and the world of the movie. And you know, when they unveil the uh, the spacecraft, you know, right. uh, and even you know, kind of, I don't know. Early on, they discover the uh, the skull. Um and it looks, <laughs> you know, kind of creepy and it's mud covered, but then, you know, 2 yeah. seconds later they uncover an entire skeleton that's somehow still of a piece and its its <laughs> arms are dangling, you know. Right. Uh and I'm just like, guys, come on, you knew better. But um but y- even for all of that, you know, the movie it draws you in and then yeah, I will admit the moment that they uh they finally get that inner door open and they reveal the big crickets. Uh <laughs> You know, it's just kind of like Oh wow! Okay, yeah, this is dating yeah. the film a bit, and yet you know, I mean, there's something about all of the performances and the writing and the fact that it's taken so very seriously that at a certain oh, point, absolutely. and it just and it just keeps moving. It doesn't really linger on right. all of that. You don't even, uh, at least I didn't. I didn't have that much time to dwell on the fact that the effects weren't that great because my god, the movie just keeps going. You know, whether or not you yeah you latch on or not, and um, you know the the end shot that you mentioned the uh, the massive head in the sky you know with uh, what looks to be devil horns uh you know the the martian apparition i mean right. it is you know <laughs> watching it again at the same time i'm having these two thoughts at once where i'm like you know that's kind of hokey but also it's kind of terrifying because yeah. you're buying everything that's happening beneath the effect you're buying the mob you know going mad you're buying the people you know just raising hell you know you're buying the fact that our heroes are in you know grave peril and uh I don't know. It's uh, the movie is dated in that way. But I for whatever reason, it just it didn't it didn't bug me that much this time around. Um, No, you
0: know, I agree. I mean, it doesn't bother me either. And and I guess what you said, because the writing is so smart, the the ideas that they're playing with are so big. And even though other, you know, modern movies have, have, uh, you know, played with those same ideas, you know, how it's presented here. just still it feels so fresh and so like revelatory, particularly with, with, uh, you know, with the reaction of the and the performance of the characters it is it's just an initial like oh yeah that doesn't look great but <laughs> you just go with it
1: yeah absolutely and yeah. those themes too uh you know i <laughs> we were just talking about prince of darkness and i think you know neil did revisit that theme somewhat you know the notion of what religion versus science or even superstition mm-hmm. really versus science you know the idea that the supernatural can be explained away by science you know that it's kind of born out of simply what we don't yet understand it kind of (laughs) kind of reminded me a bit of doctor who in a way, you know, the idea of, uh, any supernatural seeming thing can eventually be sussed out with, uh, time and patience and, uh, you know, an open mind. And, uh, yeah, I kind of love that for it. I, I, it's such an interesting, uh, approach for a movie, you know, of this period, I think, and in this genre.
0: No, I mean, I'm sure I hesitate to speak for, you know, uh, you know, British culture and people who grew up watching it, but it definitely sort of feels like a proto-Doctor Who. Um, and, and I find myself thinking, like, you know, comparing, like, you know, the black and white TV teleplays and then the movies um, and, the, and, and the connection to World War II, it almost felt like, um, you know, the British culture's reaction to World War II, and I, I felt like in my head I was drawing parallels to, you know, uh, Japan and their reaction to World War II and the nuclear bomb, and, you know, and the result was Godzilla and obviously this the string of... Of movies, you know, the first ones, you know, taking it very seriously and then, you know, going off into the, you know, the not so serious and more fun Godzilla movies. Whereas here, I mean, especially in the teleplay, you could, especially since it was only, you know, it was being filmed, what, you know, just barely a decade past World War Two and, you know, and the, you know, and the V rockets bombing, you know, just the anxiety that they were feeling over, you know, their vulnerableness and, you know, and the, you know, the casualties that they obviously suffered during the war. I uh, feel like you could really feel that as as a part of the movie um and even has almost like an origin story for what what ends up being the martians themselves i mean you know the you know, in the film you know the martians commit like you know essentially like a, a purification slash genocide on their planet it, you know and then they decide to come you know they want to propagate their own species on earth essentially to save their own the martians essentially goose on human evolution by mixing you know that's sort of the implication that they mix their dna with you know, ape DNA and the result is humans or, or, you know, they were part of the missing link. Um, but, you know, the idea that these Martians were sort of, you know, a warlike society and they, they were looking to purify, um, you know, through genocide. I mean, obviously, to you know, they were, I think Nigel Neal was certainly at least reacting to, you know, Nazi Germany and the, the attack that they had suffered.
1: Yeah, and I just going back to the, the idea of Martians shaping humanity sort of back near its very beginning, I mean that's surely not the first time this idea found its way into sci fi, but I'm wondering if it's maybe it's the first time that it found its way into a sci fi film, possibly. Mm. But I'm not sure. Uh, I uh
0: Yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh sorry, I was um I was just slipping through um Kim Newman wrote a, uh, the the British horror author, Kim yeah. Newman. I don't know if you've ever read his stuff. And he also wrote Dracula film. I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he wrote a book on Quatermass in the pit for BFI film classics. Uh, really? Yeah. Which is a wonderful series. Like, uh, I've read Roger Luckhurst's on shining and, um, alien. And those are great too. But yeah. So this, I mean, he, he sort of digs into the whole series. Um, uh, you know you know not just Quatermass, but you know obviously you know the other films and you know the television shows as well um but no like i mean he certainly draws sort of you know parallels between you know, obviously what england went through and you know what was going on in the movie
1: Very right, cool and it is terrifying too there is something uh you know we were talking about the effects just a moment ago but when we get the um... I, I don't know, what would you call it? Kind of like the psychic newsreel flashback of uh, what happened on Mars and we see the uh, the tiny yeah. little Martians marching in order. I mean, again, it's the same thing, you know, that's such a silly effect. And yet at the same time, the what it's conjuring is that of, you know, goose-stepping Nazis, you know. And so right. it's also kind of chilling in a way. And, uh, yeah, it's just uh, – although I <laughs> – if 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 the Martians are essentially stand-ins for Nazis, I wonder what we're meant to make of the fact that they are also who um who sort of are responsible for uh for humanity as it stands now, you know? I right. there's some really really uncomfortable stuff in the film that uh I don't know, it just a part of me watches this as a fun sci-fi film, and then there are other parts of it that I'm still kind of wrestling with. I uh I think one of the more interesting things to me is the film's notion that um you know, certain swaths of humanity can be easily enough influenced to uh, turn on and attack others if they are different. And the attackers do so simply because the violent behavior and fear of others, you know, that's something that's programmed in, uh, you know, at sort of a DNA level. And one imagines that those scenes were meant to recall, yeah, certain atrocities and events from throughout the 20th century and earlier. But, I mean, it's kind of a timely thought too, or a timeless no, one? Absolutely. I don't know, you know, if ah, just that idea that if you come from, say, a certain stock or certain places, then maybe you're doomed to be easily manipulated. Maybe you'll find yourself throwing in with the mob all too quickly because the need to is hardwired in. Uh, that's a really depressing thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and um, you know,
0: they do, you know, uh, the fil- in the film, they sort of juxtapose that a little bit with the heroism of of Dr. Rooney, um, but, you know, sacrificing himself to, to, to basically, you know, destroy the I don't know if it's the sort of like the spirit of the memory of, of, you know, the Martian demon that we sort of see at the end of the movie. But even in you know, the movie itself, I mean, it, 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 even though that like he sacrifices himself and that's destroyed, it does feel like the bummer ending. Cause I feel like, you know, well, the camera just sort of lingers on both, you know, equator mass and Barbara, Um, her name, her character's name is also Barbara, Dr. Judd, or I don't know if she's a doctor, but, you know, it just lingers on them, just like, basically sitting there, and I think the implication is that they're sort of contemplating (laughs) I don't know, almost like the awfulness of the human condition, essentially, uh, like, sort of what you're talking about, you know, compared to um, compared to the the teleplay, where it's a, you know, slightly different, more upbeat ending. Really? And I can actually, yeah, I can, well, I mean, the same thing happens, there's a sacrifice, but instead of just basically holding that shot where, you know, London is on fire and, you know, the, you know, they've had the, the shit kicked out of them, you know, basically, uh, you know, and they're so sort of just shocked and distraught. They can't say anything to each other. You know, at the end of the teleplay, I can read a little bit here. Um, thanks to Mr. Mr. Kim Newman's uh, book on greater mass in the pit. So at, at the, um, greater mass actually gets out in front of, the survivors in a television studio, I forget why there's a television studio, if, if they're broadcasting this to the general public, but um, Dr. Rooney was a brave man. Um, and that's, and one of the lines he says is much, you know, for it is, for it is with his kind that hope lies, you know, the idea that, you know, that sacrifice sort of redeems, obviously uh, redeems, I guess the human condition or, you know, or the, you know, mixed with the Martian blood that, you know, makes us want to war and makes us want to attack, you know, the other people who are different, uh, different from our, uh, different from ourselves. Um, I guess the last bit, you know, because he he actually talks about this explicitly in the TV program. I'll just read a couple more lines where he says, "Um, for they have outgrown the Martian in us. If another of these things should ever be found, we are armed with knowledge, but we also have knowledge of ourselves and of the ancient destructive urges in us that grow more deadly as our populations increase in approach and approach in size and complexity of those ancient, of, uh, complexity of those of ancient Mars. Every war crisis, witch hunt, race riot, and purge is a reminder and a warning, we are the Martians. If we cannot control the inheritance within us, this will be their second dead planet. So we definitely, you know, they definitely go for the, the this is really what this means, <laughs> uh, explicitness at the end of the, the teleplay. You know, they have six hours to do that. Didn't really have time to make the speech at the end of the movie, I
1: suppose. <laughs> well, I kind of love that final shot, too, because it, it ends as quickly as any, you know, 50s, you know, sci-fi monster movie. As soon as the creature is dead, right. you know, we we cut the credits. But I love that we see uh, Quatermass and Barbara just sitting there and kind of distraught. And we're meant to, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, consider the fact that the ending isn't really victorious. You know, we're we're left to wonder what's left of the world, or at least the city that's been ravaged. And, uh, sure, you know, God knows what, what's going to come next, you know, the fallout of all of these events. And, uh, and again, that's, and it really,
0: it really, yeah, I would say it really does. The shot really does linger for a while. I mean, having rewatched it recently, um, you know, the credits start, but you know, it stays with them. I mean, it's on them with, you know, they're not talking to each other to each other for at least five minutes. It feels like,
1: yeah. And it's, um, (laughs) <laughs> I think I noticed at one point this time around I was uh, I was paying attention to the credits a couple of names and I noticed it sort of uh, there's a cut and then it goes back to the very beginning of it. You barely notice it because the actors barely move at all but uh, they do repeat that instead of simply cutting to black or fading out and then right. continuing on the credits after. No, they just we just stay with the characters the entire time yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love that and I love that it follows up that sacrifice, you know, Dr. Roney and uh I I like that The horrific events of the climax are sort of halted when, you know, that big Martian apparition is confronted with a solution that has its roots in the supernatural. I love the idea that they're using iron to defeat the devil, you know, that,
0: uh, right. That our superstitions Although,
1: are rooted in reality and can still be useful in crucial moments.
0: Right. Although it's still like, it's that combination of, of science and superstition. You know, there's a, the scientific reason why they they feel like they can ground the energy or have the energy sort of dissipate, you know, with the help of the iron. But, yeah, no, uh, that is definitely, I was going to say, a really bad pun, a great undercurrent in the movie, Uh, (laughs) but not intentionally. I want to actually go back to what you mentioned before. We we talked a little bit about, you know, the crickets (laughs) in the the effects. So the only time in the movie, it's funny, I don't remember this. I think it's there in the teleplay, but I, I don't remember it. But in the movie, it feels like, oh, this is sort of like a convenient reach that, you know, they need to, you know, how are they, how is Nigel Neal and the storytellers are going to be able to get sort of the backstory of the aliens, right? Um, You know, because you have everything that's going on with the discovery of, of the spaceship and, you know, it has to be like super old and it's not, it's like a, made out of a, a weird alloy that no one has, you know, has ever seen before. But, you know, sort of like, uh, to me, it felt like the first time, like everything was somewhat plausible well, maybe this is a, a statement on me that I felt like everything else was somewhat plausible until, you know, they, you know, the dude made a, a contraption that fits on your head and <laughs> you, you can, you know, you can, you can project, you can project not only can you project sort of thoughts onto the television, but you're projecting um, essentially like uh, you're, you're essentially projecting like DNA memories, you know, from the, from the Martians. Cause that's coded into our DNA onto the TV. That felt like a little bit of a, a little bit of a contrivance, but, I don't know. I, yeah, no. I, I guess I shouldn't complain too much. No, I agree I mean, with you I thought,
1: entirely. Yeah. I thought, especially I mean, considering. Oh, yeah. sorry.
0: Good. No, I was going to say. I mean, I thought the the scene with with uh, you know Barbara Judd when you know she has sort of the psychic connection. Um, even though that's more of like a supernatural thing, that you know that felt more you know realistic for a lack of a sense of word. Even though the other one was like a scientific contraption, this was her having you know because the people obviously we know some of the people start having a psychic connection to. You know the the leftover spirit slash memory of these of these Martians. Um, so a part of me kind of wishes that they just sort of stuck with that as opposed to having to show us, you know, the showing us the crickets marching home <laughs> on, on the television screen. Well, I
1: wonder why they couldn't have. Why do you think that they felt the need to go one step further and have? I mean, because I I agree with you. I think uh, there's something yeah. about the movie that when you know when the science fiction when the horror stems from something that's otherworldly when it stems from the martians when it stems from the ship or whatever then we can buy that but you know if we're meant to imagine that you know in 19 what 67 that we have also created you know a little uh you know the, the the same kind of technology that uh, right right you know we're, we're still reaching for in the '90s with uh, Strange Days and still doesn't quite exist. You know we can't map dreams right. or whatever, right? Yeah, I mean when it comes from us, when it comes from humanity, uh, that sort of thing, in what's otherwise meant to be a fairly grounded setting with you know the horror and sci-fi seeping in. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, right. it's one step too far. Um, I do,
0: I do think I, I'm guessing, I mean, uh, again, I want to hes- hesitate to speak for the for the screenwriter, but I kind of feel like given sort of that cultural memory and for them it was a really still fresh memory of, of the war. I, I mean, I do think, you know, having the, the marching Martians and like, I think that was something that he wanted explicit in the movie, you know, to seeing them like sort of, you know, marching in form and obviously, um, You know they begin fighting each other and and purging their own i think you know maybe if we're especially if we're watching a television show and seeing that you know just those endless hordes of 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 essentially soldiers right just swarming you know i think that would be like you know if we were only 10 years after world war ii i think that would be a really frightening and terrifying thing to the point where like when i watch the movie it's not clear to me that that's what's happening like you know they sort of have to you know i I think we only realized afterwards, oh yeah, they were actually killing each other. I mean, to me, it just looks like hopping, hopping crickets and, <laughs> you know, you know, re- you know, I mean, there's some like regiments of crickets, but like there's tons of them, but it, you know, it's certainly not clear to me that they're just like, you know, killing each other or doing a race purge, 'cause Cause you know, I, I can't tell the difference between one set, set of crickets or the other, you know, then after you, after you're seeing that, you know, there's hints in the, in the dialogue, but you know, so I wonder if, you know, moviegoers and, 1967 particularly in england or people watching tv would have would have got that just from the image alone um i don't
1: know yeah and part of me almost you know once we get that far once we see marching cricket martians um <laughs> you know once we get to that point i i kind of you know part of me wanted even more mm. uh you know why not you know it's something that maybe uh I don't know would maybe work better in prose I think than actually something you know being brought to life on the screen but the idea right. of you know really delving in and seeing that backstory and seeing uh you know I mean if it's part of our memory too then the point of view is coming from one of those martians one would assume so uh or right. I meant to think that you know the characters are sort of leaping into the bodies of Uh, you know, Martians of old, you know, witnessing all of this stuff happening. I just I just want to know where their leader is. Where is um, (laughs) where where is Cricket Hitler in all of this? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, but it's still even for all that I'm making fun of it. But it is kind of a chilling idea, too, that, you know, their solution to having fucked up their own planet is, uh, well, you know, we'll just start again elsewhere.
0: Yeah, no, it is. Absolutely. I mean, like I said earlier, the ideas of this movie still feel fresh to me, even though like, you know, I, I feel like, uh, what the alien franchise Prometheus and yes, and covenant are, are sort of you know riffing on the same ideas, but I, I don't think in a, in, they're not riffing on it in an, uh, in as an intelligent way as this movie does, honestly.
1: Yeah. And I felt, you know, even at times it feels a little love crafty and even, uh, mm. you know, all that backstory, although not, you know, I totally, I think it's wildly different, but I mean, right. uh, some of the ideas are still, still there. And, um. Uh, i <laughs> uh just sorry I, I i still can't get over the fact that the movie you know uh um states that humanity owes its current condition to the intervention of martian insects um yeah <laughs> but uh but you know i i going back to the mob you know moments too i i did say that it was a bit depressing but also you know and timely in a way and timeless perhaps but uh yeah, I mean, you know, you pointed out that Roney's sacrifice is sort of the balance to this, the fact that he can be heroic and the fact that he does, you know, do something really, really noble to try and, you know, counteract all of the horror that's happening. But even before that, like, you know, it seems like the movie is trying to be, to be a bit hopeful, you know, Uh with Roni still, you know, I'm thinking of that great scene between Roni and Quatermass. You know, Quatermass mm-hmm. is under, you know, our hero, again, the hero in the title is under the same sway that the larger mob is. And yet right. it's, you know, Dr. Roni who is able to appeal to Quatermass's greater humanity and intellect and is able That's to bring right. him back to himself. You know, not with force, not with brutality, but simply with... uh with words, you know, what, what is the, uh, the lines, you know, use, use your memory, use your brain, keep hold of who you are, you know, and just simply getting them to stop and think. And uh, I mean, that alone, I think, I think it's a hopeful idea and one that hopefully isn't too fanciful these days.
0: No, absolutely. And you know, and the, the human villains, uh, you know, Colonel Breen and essentially the rest of the government, you know, it's clear that they're not thinking that they just want the, the safest, easiest explanation. Whereas, you know, it's Quatermass and Rooney and, and Barbara Judd who are, you know, daring, you know, daring to expand what, you know, the possibilities could be. Um, no, I it's thoroughly, you know, even having seen it a bunch of times and you know, as an adult and knowing what's going to happen, I don't know, there's something just mesmerizing about the movie. Uh, I would not, you know, even though we sort of poke fun at some of the effects, I would say like the breath of fresh air on the other side of it, you know, so even though some of, you know, the effects... Obviously haven't aged very well. I would much prefer that than watching like if someone were to remake it today and just have it like wall to wall c g i yeah I think you know the sets that they've created are absolutely stunning. I think the design of the ship is really you know just really beautiful uh I mean what they did with the the London Underground i mean those scenes to me are just like iconic i mean you see you you've seen these same scenes in other movies, like the same type of lighting, the same type of shots I mentioned life force. Uh, you know, being one of them where sort of, it's almost like the same scene, like when, when the mob is sort of running through, you know, Homs lane and, and Quatermass in the pit, it's sort of the same sort of end of the, or the end of London scene and, and life force, you know, when the sort of the, you know, the life force vampires are sort of raging through the same alleys of London. Um, that, so, I mean, just visually and set design, I think it's, it's wonderful.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, uh, Given, you know, I keep going back to the Scream Factory Blu-ray, but honestly, people Mm. out there listening, if you have not picked this up, do yourself that favor. I mean, the movie is really in a in a non-showy way. It's stunningly beautiful. Um, You're right. The sets are are gorgeous. The underground stuff is incredible. And even, you know, at the end when all hell is breaking loose, uh, you know, on the streets, I mean, just the way it's shot, the head appearing at the end. Is um, I don't know. It, it, it's such a beautifully realized movie. In the same way that I look at you know um, uh, any other you know major Hammer horror, it's as it's as beautifully and handsomely mounted as any Dracula film or any of the Frankenstein's. Right. You know, and uh, and you know you mentioned Hobson. I just love the idea that. <laughs> You know, the backstory of that place, that there have been apparitions, that there, have, there has been supernatural phenomena around that, that it was named Hobb initially, you know, as a nod right. to Satan, you know. And uh, I, <laughs> I I, I, just love that idea that maybe, you know, behind any haunted house story is, uh, what, a sentient spaceship buried in the ground underneath I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I love that idea, too. What is your take on that? Does the movie ever definitively say, did I miss it? whether or not the spaceship itself whether it it's sentient does it is is it causing what's happening is it the bodies of its passengers um you know what what the hell is actually happening there what are the projections coming from
0: right i mean uh i, I do think it, yeah i mean there is it is sort of a little left open because some of it is like oh some of this is it's tapping into our you know sort of dna memory you know is it you know as you mentioned the spirits of the dead ones or I mean, I do think, I don't know if this was an intentional clue by the filmmakers or not, um, but, you know, toward the end of the film where where things, you know, go crazy, you know, the spaceship starts glowing. Like, it clearly has, you know, been accruing sort of the energy of the people that keep going around it as it's glowing and as Colonel Breen is, you know, sort of burning to death. But if you, like, in one of the scenes, it's not just glowing white. Like, you start to see, like, blue veins in it, so... I don't know. That, that seems to maybe they're hinting that that's sort of like some combination of technology and or, or like a biotech or something that, you know, that this thing is actually still alive, you know, with its, you know, the vein system that we see in it. Um, I love no, that but like you, Yeah, <laughs> no, but uh, like you, I mean, I love just how it all ties together with everything. Like you said, all the different suspicions, you know, the name of the devil, the hauntings, you know, are all somehow explained by, uh, you know, Martians coming Millions of years ago, to to you know repopulate their worlds, you know through us essentially.
1: Yeah, and it's I I adore it. I uh, and again, you know I I'm a huge Doctor Who nerd, so the fact that I mean this movie feels like that we could at any point you could hear the TARDIS sort of materialize and uh, you know and all due to uh, essentially Superman's Eradicator spaceship. Uh, I love the idea. I love the idea that it's a living being that's also technology. I wish that, you know, the movie had delved into that a bit more, but maybe it's scarier that it doesn't, you know, I mean, we're, we're given the hint and then, you know, it's sort of left to our imaginations exactly what in the hell that means.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. So, I mean, I can't always, I can't help but think like, Oh, would I want to see this remade and what would it look like? Um, I don't know. I mean, if it were to be remade, I think, you know, the biggest challenge would be, like, you'd have to have a cast in writing that would sort of, you know, would at least in some ways match this film. I, I mean, I do think, um, you know, I don't know who could play Quartermass. <laughs> because for me, he's forever Andrew Keir. <laughs> Which is part of the reason why I don't think I've gone back and watched the other films. Just because when I was reading about it, I was like, oh, it's a different Quartermass? Mass.
1: Very, very. I'm not into
0: that. <laughs>
1: it's, yeah, he is... Um... You know, it's so strange, you know, listening uh, – you know, you just mentioned that he's very British academic in the BBC serial. And as I understand mm-hmm. it, that's essentially the approach of the previous two as well, even though it's different actors. But, you know, going from that to Brian Dunleavy's uh, American asshole to <laughs> to Andrew Keir's, you know, uh, take on the character, which is my favorite of the two that yeah. I've seen um, – to, you know, even Jason Fleming, it feels like, you know, going back to the idea that Quatermass is kind of more of a guest star in his own films than, than the hero. I wonder, too, mm-hmm. and I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm knocking the movie. It sounds like I'm knocking the right. character in the series, and I'm really not. But I'm wondering how well-defined the character ever really was if he can be played in so many different ways.
0: Mm.
1: And so, you know, does, would it really matter who plays him in a uh, – in a remake, you know, just as long as somebody can deliver the lines <laughs> believably, you know, eh, throw anybody at the role. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't mean that, but yeah, uh,
0: yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, well, I mean, obviously, every you know, viewer is different. Like, he really carries the movie for me. I mean, all, I mean, the, all the things I love about the movie. I don't know. There's, there's something about you know his performance that I don't know. He ele- sort of elevates the proceedings. You know, helps me believe like the unbelievable, like what we talked about. I guess you know, some of the effects and maybe some of the obviously. um <laughs> not so scientific sci-fi with, the, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the memories, you know, projecting helmet kind of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree. He is wonderful. I mean, even, you know, I, uh, <laughs> when I announced that I was, uh, rewatching the movie on uh, Twitter, not that long ago or whatever, the first gift that popped up when I uh, punched in "Quatermass in the pit was that amazing moment when, uh, you know, all hell breaks loose at first when uh, somebody is near the ship and, you know, the line starts sparking and there's the explosion and it ends on that shot of his face as he's backing away and it's pure terror. You know, he sells the hell out of that moment and every other moment in the movie, it's, yeah, I agree, whoever plays him again, as long as they find an actor on par with, like, that guy. And and I hate to say this, uh, as much as I love him in the film and I think he's fantastic, I'm not sure that I really know him from many other movies, but now I'm very interested in sort of tracking down some of his other work because he is really, really fantastic.
0: Yeah, no, same. I mean, I went to IMDb to look up his other movies. And I haven't seen, I haven't seen any of his other movies, uh, which I should probably, I guess, change to see, see how that goes.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, it's funny. I made a note here because I wanted to ask you something. I, I, I know you've noted that you haven't seen the previous two movies, but mm-hmm. I watching all three of them again, back to back, um, I don't know. There was this notion that kept popping up in the Quatermass films. The idea that um, in some way, like progress may be kind of a dangerous thing. Mm. Um, you know, it's certainly true in the Quatermass experiment where Quatermass's explorations, they sort of lead to horror and heartbreak. And, you know, a- after all of it, uh, I, I, I'm not going to touch on too many spoilers because you haven't seen it, but obviously, you know, he returns in later movies. So, you know, his, his fate (laughs) isn't really up in the air, but you know, after all of the horrible things that occur in the movie, his reaction is to simply keep going. And, uh, it's funny. Uh, somebody that I know on Twitter actually posted, they're like, that's, what's brilliant about the movie. You know, you have this, uh, you know, mutant from the stars who has sort of taken over a human man, an astronaut. And, uh, you know, commits all these horrible acts and then, you know, so many people die and yet the true horror of the film is Quatermass himself. And so, you know, the fact that he is the true threat but he's also the guy who is wanting to reach out to the stars and see what lies out there, you know, is interesting. Mm. And, you know, I think it's certainly kind of true in Quatermass as well. Not so much with him. I think he's far more sympathetic. But in Quatermass in the Pit, we have a backstory that tells us that every time somebody began to dig... Anytime somebody began to develop, you know, at Hobbes and, you know, they were met with apparitions and supernatural goings on. And as soon as science, you know, uh, comes into the mix, as soon as, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Roney appears on screen, you know, uh, as soon as we begin to dig even further and unveil what's actually happening, you know, all in search of knowledge that's when things go to hell and right. I, you know, I, it, it all stems from that buried spaceship. Sure. But I don't know. I, am I crazy here? I mean, in some ways I think these films about a crusading scientist seem progressive and yet at other times they seem like anything, but, and I, I, what's your read on that? Or uh, again, do you think I'm nuts?
0: Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I think that's, it's definitely all there. It's all in play. I mean, I, I find myself thinking that, you know, despite all the big ideas that I'm certainly drawn to, I, I think what makes that movie work ultimately is that it does feel like, um, even though we don't necessarily know, like all the characters' backstories, it it feels like we are learning about us essentially. Like, uh, it becomes like a very personal thing. As you mentioned, like all these people are digging, you know, and then all hell breaks loose, but ultimately what is it that they find? They find that the, the source of this hell is actually inside of all of us. So it is a really sort of, you know, personal, <laughs>
1: Okay. Or, you know,
0: it's about, you know, about humanity and, you know, it's definitely pretty dark. Um, I don't think I know. ever
1: realized that before. Whenever I think about, you know, all of the people being infected, I always think of it as a Martian thing. But, I mean, yeah, if the Martians were the source of the supernatural and, you know, the devil, as it were, then, I mean, I guess another read could be that, yeah, the the devils are us. What is what is the line from No Exit? Hell is other people?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, I mean it, maybe it's implying, you know. You know, when that science versus religion argument that, you know, we we created the devil because the devil is us. And, you know, the the face of the mob, even though, I guess, you know, in terms of the movie that, you know, they're being controlled by 500 million year old dead aliens. You know, it is still, you know, the people that are actively, you know, thoughtlessly going through the mob. You know, it's only when, you know, Dr. Rudy, you know, you know, makes, you know, quite a You know, stop, think, you know you know, appeal to your higher sort of, you know, appeal to the higher version of yourself or appeal to your higher faculties, you know, that it does stop being part of the mob. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. That's the really cool part of the movie. You know, it's the big ideas mixed with the personal stuff. That's why, uh, I hope I don't get pilloried for this, but, you know, a movie like, I mean, uh, I find Prince of Darkness by Carpenter to be a little bit disappointing. I mean, I love Carpenter's stuff, don't get me wrong, but, I don't know, just compared to this movie, I kind of feel like, you know, I like Quatermass better. <laughs> I feel like there's there's more humanity, even though it's I think it's as equally dark and and sort of dour proceeding at times. Um, I don't know. There's something more human to it than the Prince of Darkness.
1: I agree. You know, out of those two movies, if we're wearing weighing them against one another, I I mean you know, Quatermass in the Pit, even for the sort of downer, downbeat ending that we have, there is still a glimmer of hope, but in Prince of Darkness, I mean, there really is nothing. I mean...
0: Sure, and also, like, the other part that bothers me, we talked about this way at the beginning, but, you know, even though he's not the hero, at least there's confidence there. You can see that he's making, you know, rational decisions and reasoned decisions, even if they're not the right ones. You can understand why he did that. And uh, in Prince of Darkness, especially, I get the sense that I don't know. It, most of those characters don't feel very confident to me that they're making, you know, either just terrible decisions or certainly ill-informed ones.
1: I agree. I mean, if you see a group of creepy people hanging outside, staring up at you through the windows, <laughs> you, you just call the cops. You don't wonder why they're there. I mean, I,
0: uh... <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and then the dude with like the porn mustache, basically just hitting <laughs> on all the women. That's not really <laughs> the time to be doing that. <laughs> or maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> I, I,
1: <laughs> but, um, yeah, I you know, talking about the ending too, I mean, the idea of the devils being us and all of that. I, what is your feeling then on the final minute when, you know, our two heroes are, uh, you know, the ones who are left are sort of standing there and, uh, you know, presumably pondering what's next. Do you think the moment that the Martian influence is dealt with, you know, once all of that energy is dispelled by the, uh, the massive crane that swung into it, do you, do you imagine then that all of the mobs have stopped, you know, do people just go on about their lives after that and wonder what the hell happened, or do you think it's still happening? Uh, do you think that brought an end to everything or, or I don't know how, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, no, uh, well, I mean, I, I sort of assume that that brought the end to that sort of gathering of the mob, but. I mean, you're left with the consequences. I mean, to me, that's what I think horror can do so well um, is to explore those con- uh, to explore those consequences about what, what, what's going to happen next, even if you don't necessarily get to explore it. Like for me, my favorite horror stories, you know, there's a reveal of a of a big terrible truth, right? Um, and to me, the most interesting questions then are okay, what's going to happen now? Uh, so. I don't know. I mean, for, for, for the Quatermass movie, I'm thinking, I'm left thinking, wow, you know, what, what does Barbara remember? Like, does she remember what what it felt like to be under the sway of those Martians? And even if she doesn't, you can clearly look out and see, you know, the aftermath of the destroyed city and and people aren't going to be the same after that. Uh, you know, to me, that's, you know, I mean, that's horror at its essence that, you know, things, things are going to change. Um, and a lot of times it's not for the better and, you know, you're never going to be the same. I mean, I think, you know, beyond horror, that's just the mm-hmm. truth of existence too. Um, so, I mean, I really enjoyed that ending. I was glad to see that sort of reflected to me that's reflected in that, that five minutes where we're just seeing those two, you know, standing there survivors of, you know, survivors of that, that mob. And, you know, they, they can't, they can't, they, they, they don't even look at each other. Never mind, Like talk to each other. Like, aren't even checking to see if the other is okay. They're just sort of, you know, they're, they're still there, you know, in each other's presence, but you know, they've got some heavy shit to deal with.
1: <laughs> well, and two, I mean, what we're left with are two people who had both been under the sway of that sort of Martian influence. So I wonder, you know, and Roni not being, of course, he unfortunately is the one who has to sacrifice himself, right. uh, which I don't know. That's, that's, that's dark and twisted on another level too. But I, I wonder if, I wonder what becomes of all the people who were, quote, unquote, different out there in the world who had been attacked, who are now part of right. a world where, yeah, everybody is back to themselves. You know, they're no longer under the influence, presumably. If, you know, Barbara is okay, then hopefully everyone else is too. But, yeah, what the hell kind of world would that be to now walk in the shoes of somebody who had not been under that sway? And sure. uh who Had been under attack, would you be waiting for another attack at any given moment? Uh, it would be a very, very dark, horrible world to live in,
0: yeah. I mean, uh, uh I, I, I don't know if this is the filmmakers' or the screenwriters' intention, but you know, I, I can't help but just keep going back to you know, because of the setting and because of how close it was to World War II and the clear reference to the VR rockets. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, after World War II, you know, you're looking at you know, this you know, an entire country like you're looking at. Or, I mean, all the countries that participated in the war, I mean, where obviously genocides and atrocities happened. And then you're looking at your neighbor and like, you're not like, well, my neighbor was capable of X, Y, and Z. What what do we do now? (laughs) You know, I think that, that that's, that's asking that question ultimately.
1: Yeah. And if the solution then was, um, you know, it's funny that the way that they deal with the devil that's in all of them is by ultimately, you know, destroying the devil, um, I, I, you know, I mean, are we to assume then that that's the last sort of, uh, that was the last remnant of Martian influence left on the planet. I, uh, right. I hope so for the world of that movie. I hope that's it, but, um, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I mean,
0: I guess, I mean, I'd never thought of that, but you would kind of assume that that probably isn't the only ship that's crashed. I mean, especially if, you know, there are other places that have had what we would consider like hauntings or supernatural activity. Maybe that's reflections of of, you know, other sh- other ships. But, you know, even if it, this is the one that was destroyed, I mean, I think they're still thinking, well, you know, we have their DNA inside of us. Like we, we've we destroyed the big, glowy, giant one. <laughs> but what about, you know, the you know, the, the pieces of our genetics that have, you know, that they're now pretty sure came from them? <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Yeah. Heavy stuff. <laughs> they live on no matter what. So, okay, just uh, looking at the movie then, it's the third in the franchise, and unfortunately it's the last, at least so far as Hammer goes. And yet, you know, I I kind of wish that there had been more. You know, at least it ended on a high note, but, uh, you know, when you look at Dracula, how many of those movies did they make? And they weren't all great. Uh, I love Christopher Lee, but... Uh, I love some of those Dracula films, but I don't think they're all completely successful. Now, I will go to bat any day of the week for the Frankenstein cycle. I love every single one of those. But, uh, you know, I mean, part of me kind of wants to see what happens next in that world. I want to see what uh, what Quatermass's next adventure is. And uh, it's kind of a shame that we didn't get any more Hammer installments after that or any installments at all. And I'm wondering, like... <sighs> Obviously, the character is popular enough in British culture, you know, uh, yeah. th- you know, there have been the three serials, you know, obviously the three movie spinoffs. He was resurrected again in the 70s. Uh, apparently, there was an audio drama or two in a novel and, you know, there was the uh, the teleplay in um, uh, the mid-aughts. But I mean, I-, I wonder if it says something here that, you know, what was it? Every movie was renamed, when it reached here. Um, uh, the Quatermass experiment was something like a uh, creeping unknown. Quatermass 2 was um, uh, um, enemy from space. And then uh, Quatermass Ooh. in the Pit was what? five um,
0: Five million years to Earth. Five yeah. million
1: years to Earth. So I mean, I, I wonder if <laughs> I wonder if America can handle a movie with the <laughs> word or name Quatermass in the title. You know, what do you think yeah. the likelihood is that this character will ever get another shot at the big screen?
0: Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't. I mean, I think I'd, it'd probably be more realistic that maybe you see something like on a like a, a, a sh- maybe another TV show on a, a streaming service or something. Um, I don't know. I just I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd have a hard time imagining, you know, a studio putting out a, you know, a theater, you know, a movie that's you know actually run in theaters but with Quatermass in the title. Um, maybe I'm not giving them enough credit, but I don't think I. I don't think I am. I mean. I don't think I, <laughs> uh, no I don't think
1: you're wrong for that at all yeah yeah. no so yeah that's a shame too but I would like to see the character resurrected in some form because all three of those films the three that I've seen are very smart you know very um you know not action driven even though there is action in each you know they're not super concerned necessarily with the genre uh or at least not as much so as with the bigger ideas that each of them carry and uh you know, that's something that I prefer to see in sci fi and is unfortunately, you know, more rare than not these days. So, fingers crossed, one day somebody will uh, elect to bring back that franchise.
0: Yeah, no, I agree.
1: <laughs> All right, sir. So, hey, I think we've just about reached our time. Um, thank you so much for being on the show and for choosing a classic to discuss. Now, can I ask, before we go, do you have any final parting thoughts on Quatermass in the Pit?
0: Oh, man, I think we've, we've talked a lot on that movie. No, know. <laughs> I just, uh, I would say I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, I would like to thank, uh, British, uh, author, Stephen Laws, for who he was, ver- when I went to England last summer, um, you know, for book stuff, when I, I met him, he found out that I was a fan of the movie, Quaid and in the pit. And he's, uh, as many, you know, Brits are with, with good reason, a huge fan of Nigel Neal. So when I got back home, he very, he mailed me the six DVD, you know, BBC television show, which was just, you know, so very kind of them. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I would, I, Couldn't recommend the, you know, especially the shout uh, screen factory Blu-ray enough. It's beautiful. You will be entertained. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, It's it remains a favorite. It's 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 one of the few movies that, you know, sort of has had two different effects on me. Like when I started as a child, you know, it was just I mean, I was definitely interested in it. But, you know, and you know but scared. You know, I had nightmares of the big giant glowing demon, <laughs> but then being able to, re- you know, like almost like totally rediscovering it as adult, having forgotten the title and most of the movie. Uh, Cause I did see the movie first. So young. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's been one of the pleasures of my movie viewing life to, to have like the, the multiple experiences with this movie. Um, and having rewatched it just like a month ago, you know, it's still, I don't know. It, re- it remains a favorite. So, you know, I do hope if, if people listening haven't seen it, you know, don't feel like, you know, you know, we've spoiled it with this discussion. You're you're still going to find, I think, a lot of value in watching it.
1: Very cool. And I agree. And uh, now where can folks find you at online and uh, what can we keep an eye out for from you in the
0: future? Sure. So I uh, on Twitter, I'm at Paul G. Tremblay. My, my website is Paul uh I'm on Instagram as well at, at Paul G. Tremblay. So you mentioned my most recent book is Growing Things and Other Stories. It's a collection of short stories. Um just yesterday, uh actually since we're talking about a sci-fi horror sort of hybrid, um a uh an Amazon exclusive story uh that I wrote called uh, The Last Conversation is sort of a, a mix of science fiction and horror. Um Blake Crouch uh approached me to 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 join in like this group of science fiction stories and it was a lot of fun to be able to I guess mess around there. So that's out now. Uh it's on Kindle Only. Otherwise Just about next July, my next novel is coming, and it doesn't have a title yet. (laughs) Um, We've been arguing over it. I want to call it Quater Mass in the Pit, but they want to call it Five Million Years years to Earth. It's sort of, I I joke, but it sort of feels like that. Like, I have a title that I really want, and they won't let me have it. Um, But with whatever title it's going to have, hopefully it'll, it'll be a fun book. But that'll be out next July.
1: Very cool. All right. Well, sir, hey, thank you again so much. We really appreciate your time.
0: Well, thank you. This was a blast. I really appreciate it.
1: All right. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Screamatics. And I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much and have a great weekend.